Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey guys, it's Randy here with a quick note. The episode today has some amazing, applicable, take-home value that you can apply in your life. However, it is not safe for work, not safe for small, young ears, or if you are offended by uh, curse words. So just know, usually we bleep those out, so this is uh, safe for kids, but uh, today's episode, I think it was too much. I didn't want to uh, 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 send the editor through that because I'd rather you hear it live and in color the way it was recorded. Hey, what's up, podcast peeps? It's Randy Gage back again with the live and in color with the Power Prosperity podcast. And I got a special episode for you today. It's another one with a very special guest star. And I thought I'd get somebody quiet, timid, very uh, calm. <laughs> But I couldn't find one, so I got this guy instead. He is the pit bull of personal development. Uh, he's had six New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestsellers. I think he's had eight or nine books total, because I've got some other ones of his that I don't think were you know, on the list, but uh, were early in his career. Uh, you might have known his books, You're Broke Because You Want to Be, uh, shut up, stop whining, and get a life. He is one of my uh, colleagues in the Speaker Hall of Fame. So when I uh, go to Arizona or he comes to Miami, we usually go out and have dinner. Uh, and I have to say he's my only friend that I have dinner with who's a regular on the Fox News Network. <laughs> so, of course, I could be talking about no other than the legendary Larry Winget. So, Larry, welcome to the show. <laughs> what a great introduction. And I'm just betting that's true. I am your only friend who's a regular on Fox <laughs> News, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, that's true. That's true. I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> uh, so listen what do you mean I'm not quiet and shy and all those things there at the beginning? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, you know what I want to launch off with? Um, the, um, because I did a show a couple of weeks ago about my fourth midlife crisis that I'm going through now and uh, has a lot to do with, with um, materialism, possessions. You know, because you've been my friend a long time and, and you remember when I sold my place to the Sheik and got yeah. rid of everything, sold everything and went on a sabbatical. And so that was not, but I don't know, four years ago, maybe five. And recently I've gone through this again and I just, so what I had said on the show was I actually um, set a rule for myself for the next two years. I am not allowed to buy any clothes, any shoes, any cars, any watches because I, and I've given, you know, and I'm just been in the process the last month of, giving away, I mean, literally tens of thousands of dollars worth of this stuff. And I just happened to catch your latest video yesterday or the day before, uh, kind of the five keys to a worthwhile life or something along yeah. those lines. And it sounds like you're really on a, uh, a parallel track. Well, I tell you what, we spend so much of our life uh, accumulating. And I don't mean just accumulating stuff, accumulating a reputation, accumulating these BS fans that we supposedly all have on social media. <laughs> and it's all about this life of accumulation. And a few years ago is when it really started for me when I just said, I'm tired. 
I'm, I'm tired of my stuff. I'm tired of all these people that you end up doing things to please others. And even though I've always been pretty good at being selfish and making sure Larry was happy above all else, it really just started to become exhausting to play keep up with who you are. So uh, I, I went from, you know, a 6,300 square foot house down to a, a 4,000 square foot house. And then uh, Rosemary and I said, this is still ridiculous. And we just downsized to a, a 2,700 square foot house. And who knows if I'm going to stop there. I got rid of 135 pairs of cowboy boots, 400 cowboy shirts, uh, and just more crap that just accumulates in your life. I went through my social media and dumped out of the 5,000 friends you're able to have on Facebook, I dumped 4,600 of them. I, one at a time, stopped following 27,000 <laughs> oh, people on Twitter. I, I, and that's a lot of work. I just went through everything and said, now I'm cleaning it up. I really am. And damn, has it just been the most freeing thing. Yeah, when I did the sabbatical, one of the things I did was um, I unfollowed, at some point, I don't know, some social media expert had told me, uh, put on the follow back uh, button or function on Twitter. Yeah, so, so on the sabbatical, I said, okay, every week I'm going to unfollow 5,000 accounts. And yeah. There was some software, I didn't have to do it one at a time, but you could, you, you could only do like um, 50 on a screen at a time. So you, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But I did it. I said, okay, 5,000 a week, and then I'm going to, uh, every day, I'm going to unsubscribe from five emails because I was on so many newsletters and lists and whatever. And uh, yeah, it just the, the, I think, you're onto something there with, it's not just the, cause it's like the possession. Yes. I mean, I, what I've got now, this closet in Miami holds about uh, 80 pair of shoes, 90, something like that. So I said, okay, I will keep whatever fits in this closet and everything else has to go. And then I'm not allowed to buy another pair of shoes for two years because I can't even, there's even like the ones like in the corner, you can't really see. So I'm like, okay, every couple of weeks, I'm going to rearrange the closet to bring the stuff from the corner to, out so that, because I mean, I have shoes I haven't worn in five years. So what's the point of owning them, right? But I think you're onto something with the, the mental bandwidth as well as the possessions. Well, I tell you, we, it, it is the mental bandwidth. It's the, who are you trying to prove something to uh, through your possessions? And when I realized, I don't, I really don't give a damn about everybody else and what they think. And that's, you know, everybody says that. I don't give a damn about everybody else and what they think. Oh, bull. We, especially in this industry you and I are in. And I mean, we wake up seriously to try to figure out what can we say that will involve and intrigue and provoke and, and entertain and educate and inspire. Oh my God, that's exhausting. <laughs> but mostly we do it because we've got this false sense of uh, self-worth that somehow that stuff makes a difference. And at the end of the day, I do this little exercise and I have for many, many years. The last thing I do every single day as I brush my teeth, look myself in the mirror, and that's it before I go to bed, I brush my teeth. And while I'm looking self at myself in the mirror, I just say, was I the best version of me I can be for the, uh, just for the day? Was I the best version of me I could be? Was I nice to folks? Did I, you know, was I good to my wife? But was I also just good to me in the best possible way? And when you realize there's so much clutter that takes so much energy, that's not being good to you. No, it sure isn't. You know, one of the things you had said uh, uh, in that video was, if you can't approve of yourself, change yourself. How do yeah. you, would you talk more on that? Well, we're, you know, I always laugh and I wrote a, 
you know, best-selling parenting book. And we, I listen to all these bozos out there, these motivational bozos talking about uh, helping people have more self-confidence and self-worth and self-awareness. Did they forget that the root word of all of those is self? Um, you kind of have to do all of those things for yourself. And what I realized is no one can make me feel better about myself except myself. No one can give me more self-confidence. I have to be confident in my actions. And I think the trend these days is to look outside of ourselves for validations. I mean, isn't that pretty much why social media exists? To validate ourselves based on the likes and opinions and, and feedback we get from others. And I just think that it's much smarter to say, forget every single human being in the world really forget everybody and have the little conversation with yourself as you brush your teeth at night and say, this is, you know, the old line, if it's to be, it's up to me, but it really means that if I don't like who I am, it's not anybody else's business or job. I have to change. And we expect things outside of us to change politics or politicians or, or the economy or whatever, to, or we want that restaurant to become vegan to suit us. Why don't we just make better choices and fix ourselves? But that requires more work than most of us are, are willing to do. And then we've got all these idiots out there saying, uh, you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever. You, no, you, really, you, you've got to absolutely take control of your life. Stop listening to the motivational stuff. Stop, stop looking for validation outside of yourself and realize if you're gonna have a better life, it's all gonna come down to what kind of person you decide to be based on the actions you take every single day. Yeah, I, I, it's just such a default setting that we look outside. So yeah. it's my bitch ex-wife and it's my cheap boss and it's the Trump and it's the economy and it's the weather and it's the, the, you know, the evil, mean, greedy, rich people, it's the system. It's just because it, it is so much easier. And when we can do that, then we don't have to blame ourselves. We don't have to take any personal responsibility because it allows us to play victim. And we love playing the victim card, so many people. Well, you know, Jim Rohn and <clears throat> and he was truly my mentor. I met, just met him a couple of times, but he used to have this great bit that he did. And it was a bit, we all have bits in our speaking world, but uh, he used to stand on stage with a big blackboard like he did and say, let's make all, a list of all the reasons you aren't doing as well as you think you ought to be doing. And he would have the audience yell out stuff. And you, you know, Randy was just like the list you just made. Well, it's Trump's fault or it's Hillary's fault or it's the Democrats, the Republicans, or it's the economy or it's my brother-in-law or I'm second born, I'm the middle child, or it's the weather. And he would make, let these people make a list with a hundred things on it. And then he would say, I got one problem with your list. You ain't on it. Yeah, exactly. And, and th that's really where we've gotten to, but that, that's not a revelation. It's that now that we've got a society that will support, you don't need to be on it. They'll put their arm around you in an effort to, to claim to the world they are supporting you in your stupidity almost and saying, it's okay, it's a cold, cruel world out there, poor baby. You know, I don't think that's a good friend. I think a good friend puts their arm around you and say, you know, you need to stop being an idiot. This is your fault. Shape up. Stop doing this ignorant shit you do. But we're, that's not who we've become as a society. We support people in their stupidity instead of calling them on it and expecting more from them. Yeah, when you say it's, it's almost like they support them in that, I think it's not even almost. They do. They, because what they're really doing is enabling that behavior. Yeah, exactly right. You know, we, 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 we love we want, I'm just finishing my 13th book. I'm on like two weeks away from the deadline. And I, one of the sections I'm writing is why bold visionary founders of companies usually fail. 
right? That, you know, the, these brilliant, charismatic, dynamic leaders with vision are great for launching companies, but they're usually horrible at managing them. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Jobs uh, getting fired from Apple the first time around is a perfect example. Travis Kalinick at Uber, they just, a SoftBank literally just paid that founder of WeWork $1.7 billion this week to go away, you know? Because you know how far I could go away for $1.7 billion? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's such a, 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 a it's a, just a common thing that, and when I analyze it, because I'm trying to help those CEOs and founders, right, with this book to say, you know, here's what you need to know. Here's how you can make sure you're not one of those that gets bought out. And unless it is for, you know, 1.7 billion, he's probably, you know, I forget his name, you know, he's probably He's all right. Age. Let's not worry too much about him. Yeah. He's saying, <laughs> fuck age. I got 1.7 billion. Let him write 10 books. Uh, but the, the thing is when you're really running a company, or running a nonprofit, or running a movement, anything. You have to make decisions that are unpopular. You're gonna to have to close down divisions or lay people off. You're gonna to have to fire certain people. Um, and because if you're not making decisions that are sometimes unpopular, then you're really not bringing any value to the organization, yeah. whether it's a volunteer organization or a for-profit company, right? And it's the same in relationships. People think, well, I want to be her friend, so I don't want to say anything that she doesn't want to hear. Let me pander to her neurosis. Let me pander to her psychosis. Let me tell her the things she wants to hear because I want to be a good friend. Yeah, and see, we've painted that that when people are truly a good friend and uh, are supportive in a way that uh, helps people actually change who they are and change their behavior and so forth, we've painted that in a way that, that that's a negative when it really is the most positive thing. You and I have friends who will say, you're being an idiot, don't do that. And I recognize that's my friend right there. And, but society has painted you as being unsupportive if you have ever say anything that actually is confrontational to another person in any way. Yeah, and the thing you have to watch out for is the cynics, right? Because if you have an idea for a, a bold, new, innovative, disruptive, whatever, okay, you're gonna do Uber for boats or Uber for airplanes or whatever, uh, of course, everybody's going to tell you it's crazy. And of course, most they're probably right, because most new ideas are crazy. But there are people who tell you it's crazy because they're jealous and they're petty and they want you to fail. There's people who tell you it's crazy because they're just programmed with so many limiting beliefs. They think everything out of the normal will fail. And then there are actual true friends who are critical thinkers who could say, you know, I don't think this is a good viable idea for you. And here's why. And you got to be able to know the difference of, you know, somebody isn't your friend just because they're telling you nasty shit. They're their friend. They're your friend. If they're telling you nasty shit with love, with your highest good in mind, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. When I look at all the people in our industry, I really do look at you and I as being those two people who for a long, long time, we were, it was lonely out there for, for us, <laughs> really, because we, we were saying things that so many people found truly confrontational when all we were asking to do, you in sort of your little area and me in my little area, was damn, just take responsibility and think people. And, uh, and that was seen, I, I remember going to the National Speakers Association one time and somebody pulled me over and said, Larry, you should consider coming back from the dark side. And I went, this is the dark side? 
the dogs. Uh, and that's when I realized I was no longer going to be a fit for the, for the National Speakers Association. But asking people to be responsible for their lives and telling them the truth and kind of going up against some of the BS thinking that's out there, um, it, it's not always a welcome thing. And I give you credit, certainly, for being one of those guys who was willing to say unpopular things and stand up for it, justify it, make it make sense, know why you believe that. And there just aren't many of those people around. No, there's not. There's just the, uh, and social media is kind of accelerating it. Social media is really turned into an addiction. Yeah. People are so desperate for how many likes they can get on their Instagram post that they, you know, they, 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 they forego, they, they voluntarily give away their free thinking, their, their ability for critical thought. Um, there's just such a pervasive, insidious, overwhelming uh, movement to for people to conform. And of course, I think organized religion does it. I think governments do it. I think social media and the data sphere do it. But so for most people, they're just not up to, to fight that fight. And they don't even know that it's a fight they could fight, I think. They just, they're so indoctrinated for conformity from preschool to kindergarten to the whole education system. Totally agree with you. And then when we add that to that, that if someone says something to you that doesn't fully support your beliefs, even though they might be totally wrong, but doesn't fully support you, uh, we immediately go to labeling as racist, misogynist, ageist, uh, stupid, idiot. We call them names instead of saying, I wonder if that point has validity. How dare somebody ever ever, ever disagree with something I believe, even when what I believe is wrong. It's, I just think it's a damn shame. It's really an issue. I mean, the polarization, the, the, you just, the, I mean, I'm really proud of my work and I, I'm really honored by the, 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 the people who support my work. Like I just last week wrote a series of blogs on why I think religion is evil. And um, I just was so pleasantly surprised with the, the people in my forums who could discuss the ideas yeah. and that, you know, the Muslims and the Christians and the fundamentalists and everybody who disagreed with me. And you heard, you know, obviously yeah. we, we have Chris Widener as our mutual friend and you heard the podcast with him last week. Um, and, and we can do that and debate ideas without attacking the person. But when I leave my little world of my <laughs> blog and my podcast and my dinner table companions and I go out in the rest of the world. It gets ugly quick, doesn't it? <laughs> it gets ugly quick. It's right. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't, you know, and I know, like, I'm big into politics. I just, I'm kind of a political junkie. So I've followed yeah, them since good. I was 15 years old, right? Um, and, there was always dirty tricks. There was always smear campaigns. There this kind of stuff. It's, and if you look back 100 years ago or 150 years ago in American politics, it was true then. And even horrific, nasty stuff. But I, I just, we didn't have social media in, in those days. So it, it, I, I feel like the, the last president who emerged with their reputation intact was probably Reagan. Yeah. And every president since, because of the advent of social media, because of the proliferation of cable TV, um, nobody survives it with their reputation. Because, they, I mean, there are people that just, you, you saw the thing probably where uh, Ellen was, you know, at a football oh, game with her Bush and, and, Bush. and yeah. yeah, she did that beautiful video afterward about uh -huh. hey, 
And then I've read some of the comments on it and there, I was like, and even her what? own group went after her. Yes. <laughs> and like, okay, yes, we've been there, but he's a war criminal. He is the, you know, it's like, really? Do, do we, I mean, I, I just, uh, it's, it's so toxic. And that's what I think we didn't have, you know, from Reagan and before we didn't have this uh, negative uh, pervasive infrastructure of hate and intolerance and judgment that because people couldn't tweet, you know, about Reagan. But well, they, they didn't have didn't. a platform. Not every single person on the planet didn't have a platform like what they do now. Right. And they also didn't have as much anonymity as they do now. And without anonymity comes accountability and responsibility. But when you can sit at your laptop or on your phone and be this keyboard coward who gets to say anything in the world with no consequences, well, then that's, we end up with what we've got right now. Yeah. You know, I, I saw a quote and it's really become my favorite quote. It's an Emerson, Emerson quote. And it says, let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I'm persecuted whenever I am contradicted. <laughs> what a, I, and I love Emerson. I thought I read everything he ever wrote. I've you know, I thought it. I had it too, and I, I discovered it, and I fact-checked it, and I've done all that. First of all, I love that he sets it up as a vulgar mistake of dreaming. <laughs> 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 uh, that I'm persecuted when I'm being contradicted. You know, everything that challenges our thinking is not personal persecution. It's just a challenge of your thinking, which I thought, you know, it, when we look at college campuses, we won't let the far right appear on a college campus at USC. Well, isn't that what college is for, is to have our thinking challenged? Uh, it shocks me. It just shocks me the way and, colleges have And it doesn't matter which side you're on. Yeah. Good God, it's just terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I, I it, it's really is, um, I don't know what the answer is. It's like you see all the kind of the news now. We need to break up Facebook and Google and all this thing. And I think that's just a knee-jerk, idiotic uh, reaction but to a real serious problem that the fact is uh, we do regulate the power company and the gas company and the phone companies to say, well, there are certain things that everybody has to use and monopolies would be dangerous in this area. Um, and the truth is a, a, a platform like Facebook, the, the founders of the constitution could never envision the power of Facebook and what that was going to become. And the truth is, like if you read uh, Peter Thiel's book, um, Zero to One, which is one of the most brilliant books I've read in years, he talks about the, the, that you, that's your ideal thing as an entrepreneur is you want to get in a monopoly space. You want to create a monopoly but created in a way that the government isn't going to shut you down, right? And Facebook yeah. and Google and, 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 and mm -hmm. Amazon and a lot of these companies have done that brilliantly. And the truth is, and if you, if you watch those hearings on Capitol Hill, these legislators we have, they have no idea what social media is. They couldn't post a story on Instagram. <laughs> Their life depended on it, right? And they're, like trying to regulate this. And I look at this and I say, you know, we really do have to look at social media, some of these platforms um, and say, what is, you know, do we, we probably do have to regulate them in some way for the social interest, just to protect society from itself. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, Let's talk about what happened on the news this week when they were grilling uh, Zuckerberg about fact-checking political speech on Facebook. Well, first of all, Facebook has 2.7 billion users. And uh, asking 
the fact that we should fact check what comes out on Facebook, whether it's political speech or any other speech, in my opinion, is just insane. We, we don't ask Fox News or MSNBC to fact check politicians. I don't see how you can ask um, uh, Facebook to fact check politicians. I think what has happened, Randy, is that, and I'm for regulating them to an extent, but I don't think you can force them to try to fact check what gets on there. But what well, has yeah, happened- It is impossible. If people understood, yeah. if they looked at the number, because it's not just ads, it's of course the posts. And if you looked at how many videos get loaded to YouTube in an hour, yeah. how many posts go on Facebook in a minute, yeah, I mean, we're talking billions. Uh, you're exactly right. That's why I think it's so cumbersome. It can never be done. Never. But what I think happened, you know, my last book is called What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything. I wrote these first six bestsellers uh, about how to be a better parent, how to uh, handle your finances better, how to be better in business and how to be a better person, the three personal development books in the bunch and so forth. And what I realized after writing these six bestsellers and selling all these books and being in 20 different languages and uh, what I realized is nobody's doing any of that. Uh, it, it, they were truly just a waste of energy. I'm proud of them. They were good books. Some people say they helped them. Uh, but the point is, you can't give the world or you can't give an individual a list of things to do and expect them to do them long term if they're not the kind of people who would normally do those things. If I'm a, a boss and I have a bad employee and I come in and say, look, you're not doing well, do these three things. Okay, they can go away and do those three things for a while. But if they're bad people, they're not going to keep doing it. So what I realized is that we have a lot of people who, are, who lack values and are never going to do the right thing long enough for it to really make a difference in their life. That's why the last book I write, wrote, What's Wrong With Damn Near Everything, is about the collapse of core values. Because if you're a person who's not honest, doesn't have integrity, doesn't work with a, any kind of a work ethic, doesn't have gratitude in your heart, it just isn't a good person. All the good things I give you to do aren't going to make any difference long term. And so when I look at social media, uh, there's no accountability. There's no personal core value that says, you know, I shouldn't do this. Not because I can't, but because it wouldn't be the right thing to do. Yeah, and I'm, if I didn't write books, I wouldn't have a social media account anywhere. I just wouldn't. It's just not my thing. I, first of all, I'm a pathological loner, I'm not into that stuff. I, I would never, uh, but, and I still will. Uh, I've got this next book coming out and I'm, I'm hanging on to Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp until that book is out because that's a big platform for me to promote to my tribe. But then I'm shutting them all down just because I, you know, the, the Zuckerberg properties are so unethical to me, in my opinion, what they do with your information, you know, even encrypted chats on what's Okay, happening. now that's where you and I will agree. Let's regulate all that. You don't get to do that. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, literally you send what you think is an encrypted message on WhatsApp and they're mining that data to know what ad to put on your feed the next time you log in. And I'm just like, that is so morally offensive to me. I believe Facebook is evil. And if you look at <laughs> the founders of Instagram and the WhatsApp and everybody who sold a property to Zuckerberg, that's what they all say. That And they all left because they're like, they had this idea of this, baby they created and they feel like now it was manipulated so um that's just that's dangerous stuff that you know the constitution our founder founding fathers i mean even in 1950 we could have never conceived of that or prepared for that it's just that's the new reality you know cloning we you know we we're not prepared for cloning we're not prepared for 
so like the stuff I wrote about in my risky book and my mad genius book, it's like I say, we're in the most cataclysmic decade in human history. And you know what? I'm going to have to figure some shit out because we haven't figured it out yet. No, I'm with you on that. I totally agree. So here's something I haven't said publicly. I, I, uh, and you're older than I am, so I've got to get your take. <laughs> we were just talking. I mean, we were wondering. I'm 60. Larry's 67 now. So my belief is it's like war. If you look at war, you know, we, we had the German panzer divisions going across to Africa. And so we built our, you know, our kind of tanks and then aircraft carriers and, you know, but what, but the world has changed. Those kind of wars, we don't fight them anymore. They're wars like Al Qaeda and ISIS um, mm -hmm. with people who are not in uniform, who are using churches or mosques and human shields, and they're operating out of pickup trucks and sleeper cells and terrorism. And it's a different war. And I think that the next real wars are cyber wars and, and electromagnetic pulses and social media manipulation. And I mean, if you shut, if you hack the New York Stock Exchange next week and shut it down for a week, the, the, the trillions of dollars in damage, you know, if you, there's so many things, right? So I think that's the biggest threat. So here's my, my concept. And let's see as a fellow old guy, if you agree with me, <laughs> I'm going to say Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, William Weld, they're too old to be president because yeah okay because that's like donald trump couldn't send an email if his life depended on it right yep these other candidates at that age they don't know this world and that's the that's the that's the real danger i mean that's how you're going to conquer the world today you're going to conquer the world through the internet or through uh, hacking cell phones and, and social media manipulation. And I just, as a, you know, as an age guy myself, and I hate the idea of ageism, but I just feel like, you know what, for that job, you need a, somebody from a younger generation. Well, I, I, here's where I would push back only slightly because I can, tell you, and, and even you just turning 60, you know this. I just had a, an argument with some of my, my close buddies who you all know well about, I'll guarantee you at 67, I'm not as sharp as I was at 57. Everything is still in the filing cabinet, but I don't access it as, as quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just the way it is when you age. And we see this right now with all of the really old, these guys are 10 years older than I am. Uh, who are running for president right now, some of them. Yeah. And so we do see that. But here's what I, is my little bit of pushback, in that if you have somebody, and we don't, if you have someone who is a true leader and leads on the principles of leadership and is looked to only for wisdom, but not necessarily their tactical or strategic skills, and then surrounds themselves with people who have those kind of skills, if they just surround themselves with the right people, I do believe that a true leader can rise above the detail. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that because that's what it takes. There is nobody in the world who's smart enough to be the president of the United States by themselves. There's nobody in the world who's smart enough to lead a fortune 500 company by themselves it it all it is all about attracting those people and um my vision my hope is the same as yours that we find a leader who will know who to put around them the 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 problem i see with the candidates we have on the menu in that age demographic right now is i'm saying they, you know, Bernie wouldn't know who to call to handle that task, right? Biden wouldn't, I mean, they wouldn't know because none of us know what we don't know. And well, 
I totally agree with you. And just like human nature, and you see CEOs make this mistake all the time, especially in small business, but that we all surround ourselves with people who are like us. Yeah. And because we don't like the challenge of somebody thinking differently than we do or knowing more than we do. When a good leader surrounds himself with people uh, who thinks much differently than they do so they can learn from them. But that's not what presidents typically do. And it's not what most small business people uh, do as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually riffing on that a lot in this new book that I'm working on about this, how founders and presidents and CEOs have to do that because there, there really is... you. The, like I say, the, the skill set to be a visionary founder, you don't even know what a HR director does. You'd say, well, they hire people. No, it's so much more that they have to. You don't really understand what a CFO is about. You say, well, they, you know, they handle the money, right? No, it's they project the cash flow. They set up the systems to protect against fraud. They handle all the e-commerce. I mean, there's, you know, planning and budgeting and negotiating with the banks and, and getting audits and accountants. And, you know, there's, but if you're a founder like me, I'm, I've always said I'm a brilliant leader. I'm great at launching companies. And I'm the worst manager. And I've learned I have to hire managers for the things that I do because that's just not my skill set. Yeah, well, the, the problem from a political standpoint, Randy, is that their egos are in the way and they really do believe, look at Trump right now. Look at Bernie. He thinks he has the all the answers. Trump thinks he has all the answers. They both yeah. do. And yeah. they're their ego is running the country, not their brains or their leadership capabilities for damn sure. Yeah. And I, I still think it's the same with CEOs I, because to, yeah. you know, founders, you, you can't be a founder without a strong ego. You just can't because the whole world is going to tell you it's a stupid idea. The whole world is going to tell you it's going to fail. The, even the people who love you are going to think you're nuts. So you've got to have enough of an ego, enough belief in yourself to say, I know the odds against me. I know that no one else has done this before, but I believe in this idea so much. I believe I can get it done. And that's a strong ego and you need that. Yeah, but now let's drive this down to the everyday level for every guy who listens to a podcast every single day. Uh, all we hear from all these motivational bozos is that you can do whatever you want to do. Just believe strongly enough and you can do it. And so we have people saying everybody should be an entrepreneur, quit their job and go out on their own. That's first of all, that's ridiculous. I do all these entrepreneurial podcasts and they say, Larry, what's the best advice for entrepreneurs? And I said, don't become one. Yeah. Not 90% of the people who are trying to become entrepreneurs should just get a good job. Agree, hundred percent. There's just, I don't know where this meme has come from, but that really is the because of I think Instagram. Like everybody wants to be an Instagram influencer, and they think they can uh, uh, start a fashion line because they can get obscenities printed on a T-shirt, and that <laughs> makes them an entrepreneur. And I don't know. It's just, but yeah, the the the, the it's like Gary V has, has uh, and he'd say the same thing we're saying right here, which is, you know, a lot of you guys should not be entrepreneurs, but he's kind of fueled this movement of everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and it's, it's dangerous for a lot of people. Well, it's, it's fine to want to be, but you know, I ask him all the time, have you done any market research? Do you know if your product or service is even needed? Why are you doing this? Is because your brother-in-law said, oh, you're really good at this. You ought to go out and make a living doing this. What, what was the motive behind it? Do you have the skills? Do you know how to hire, fire, market, sell? Do you know how to read a balance sheet? They don't know anything. Instead, they fall back on, but I'm passionate about it. And then I quick to remind them, passion is defined in the dictionary as a barely controllable emotion. I don't want any barely controllable emotions running my business. You know, yeah. 
It's there are like, a lot of passionate, incompetent people out there. A lot of passionate, incompetent people. Because it's, you know, Becky makes an amazing apple pie. And oh, my God, your apple pie is so amazing. You should start a restaurant. Uh, you know, maybe not. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, again, this is feeding people's... Um, fragileness instead of their strengths. It's something, we tell people their dreams can come true. We, we tell them whatever your biggest weakness is can become your biggest strength. Oh my God, a lot of the stuff that's being said is what, you create a meme and if you put a puppy dog, a rainbow, a pretty beach, a mountain scene, a sunset, a sunrise, a kitty cat, it will be shared a million times. If you tell people, hey, know what you're doing, get off your ass and go to work, uh, you get about 10 shares on that kind of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. But I know you are not a cynic. I know you believe in hope. I know you believe in possibility. So what do you say to that? To because we've been kind of dampening people down. And it's true, you know, no, you really can't move a mountain with a mustard seed. I'm sorry, you may have read that and heard it at Sunday school every weekend of your life, but nobody I know is gonna move a mountain with a, with a mustard seed. And uh, if you're uh, five foot two, a buck 20, you're probably not gonna be an NFL uh, quarterback or a, a forward yeah. for the you know, basketball team. Um, but speak to how do people keep their optimism and their hope and still be successful in a way that works for them? What, what do you well, think? First of all, that? maybe they ought to define their own level of success instead of basing their success on what they see on social media and what other people are doing. Um, Say that uh, again. Say that again. <laughs> uh, define your, come up with your own definition of success instead of basing it on what other people are doing on social media. That's the number one thing. Listen, if you're living to the best of your abilities, I don't care whether you make $50,000 a year or $50 million a year, if you're a good person who enjoys what they do for a living, your bills are paid, you're happy and content, God bless you, you are successful. If you find your $50,000 a year job meaningful and, and it, it feeds you, good for you, that is success. You are not a failure because you make 50,000 and somebody else makes 500,000 or 5 million or 50 million. So we've got to realign our level of success and getting people to do that, I think starts from taking your eyes off of others and realizing that they do not um, have anything to do with what your definition of success is. You have to decide that all on your own. I do think you have to give up on your dreams, and I think you have to get some solid plans. You have to know what you want. You have to know why you want it. You have to know what it takes to get there. You have to put down the, the actions that it will take to get there. You have to educate yourself so you can actually carry out the actions, hold yourself accountable, and at some point, regardless of what all the idiots say, it's okay to give up and quit and say, this wasn't right, I'm not willing to do that, I'm gonna go another direction. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and well, I'm not a cynic. And the hope comes in that we can all, you can't do anything. Listen, like you, you gave some great examples. I, I attack that uh, nothing is impossible BS all the time. Yeah, if you're short, fat, and ugly, you're not going to be a supermodel. It's just not working out for you. People say nothing is impossible. Go try jumping off the top of a 100-story building. Yeah, I'm pretty much telling you it's impossible to do that and live. So we get caught up in this stupid stuff that people are saying. But what is possible is you can do more than you think you can. You can always uh, work a little harder, think a little bigger, do a little more. Those things are possible, but we've got to get realistic. I do not believe just in possibilities. I also believe in probabilities. And you have to be, understand what it takes that you have to do in order for the probability to go in your direction to achieve what it is you say you want. Love it. Here's a question for you. What in the, what have you 
what belief have you changed? What, what major thing have you changed your mind on the last six months or one year or two years? What, what do you believe now maybe that you didn't believe a year ago? Something like that. Anything come to mind? Oh, listen, Randy, I, you were talking about how you went through that. We started this thing off with that, your fourth midlife crisis or something. Um, my, I think as we grow and as we age and as we read and as we open up our minds and as we reevaluate our priorities and what, what our true values really are, I think that we're constantly sort of reassessing what's important and what's not important and what we believe and what we don't believe. Uh, what I believe now more than ever is that uh, the importance of, of making you happy above making others happy. I really do believe that we're not serving people well when we say live to make other, ha other people happy, Lear live to serve others. I think our number one priority really should be very selfish that when I make Larry Wingate happy every single day, I know that as a result of me making me happy, I tend to make others happy along the way because when I'm not happy, I'm not serving them well. I'm not a, not a good husband. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good granddad. If I'm uh, uh, not in alignment with what feeds me spiritually, uh, physically, emotionally, all those things, so I really believe the world is getting this wrong. It's okay to be selfish and put yourself first. But I would push back and say, I think if I asked you about this 10 years ago, you would have said the same thing 10 years ago. I, I feel like you believed that for you know, maybe and as was, long as I, I know I you. I did believe it, but not enough to really I've stood on stage, Randy, and said, I don't give a damn about any of you people. I really don't. I'm here because I have a fiduciary responsibility. And let me tell you what that means. I've been paid to do a good job on stage. It's my job to do a good stop job on, on stage. It's not about whether I want to be here, whether I love you or not, whether I care about you or not, whether I even care about what I have to say. I've been paid to do this. And I want to know, none of you care whether I'm having a good day. You don't care whether I'm passionate about it or not. You care whether I bring value. And here's my job to bring you value. Here's the value. And then I tell them what it is I want to say. And I don't think there are a lot of speakers who have the balls to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, at least I've never run across them. So what's happened over the years is I've just reinforced it at a mm -hmm. whole new level. Mm -hmm. than I did have 10 years ago. Yeah, in general, I would have said, make me happy, but not like right now. Mm -hmm. All right, so yeah. Okay, so what do you think of this? If uh, I'm reading a uh, profile about you in the Wall Street Journal right now, and it says, uh, <laughs> if Larry Winget hadn't met Rosemary, he'd be a 300 pound slob broke loser <laughs> and, <laughs> and no I that's not in the Wall Street Journal I just made it up what do you think of that <laughs> um I tell you what uh, I when I accepted um the Hall of Fame the National Speaker Society uh, Association I remember all the people who accepted ahead of me saying, I need to think, and they thanked their spouse and for standing there with them the whole time. And I remember saying to the group, I don't get to thank Rosemary. She still wonders when I'm going to get a real job. Um, <laughs> and, and it's true. She's always looked at this as interesting, and she's very thankful that I get to express myself, and there's no better job than being paid for your opinions. But um, she is a you, I, let me tell you, the only reason I love Rosemary is because she's the only person on the planet who's willing to love me being Larry Wingate. I am not an easy man, but she loves me in spite of myself, not because of myself. And uh, that's what I love most about her. How, what I ended up doing was because I had the guts to make that part happen. She was supportive 
to the point that she said, Larry, if you want to do this, you can do this. I think we should just get a job. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really where I was going with that because uh, I adore Rosemary and yeah, I know the, uh, and I know that the value her support has meant to you, even though she does think you're crazy. And um, well, I mean, speak to that. What is the, how important is it to have at least one, if not more people in your life who really do love you as you and support the path you choose? Well, let me tell you what I think is necessary from that. It's not just the love. What you need is at least one person on the planet that you can trust without conditions. Mm -hmm. And th that's what Rosemary and I have. I can get unconditional love from Leon, my bulldog. That is true unconditional love. <laughs> but uh, I think having someone that you can trust with anything is the most important thing. And you really kind of only need that one person you can trust. Where you can go through and, and show them just how vulnerable and you, you really are. You can say, listen, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm in trouble here. And you can trust them with that information. If you can find that person, that's more important than anything else. Yeah. What, uh, if I ask what, one or two books were the most influential for you or you know made a difference to you after reading them what uh what jumps to your mind well you know in the last 35 years i've read over 5000 books and uh th there are so many that i think are just so outstanding what's always amazing when i get asked this question i find as much inspiration from great fiction as i do great nonfiction. I, you know, I'm a, a big reader of fiction books. I, I think the best fiction book ever written was by John Irving, A Prayer for Owen Meany. Um, I really love that book. I love a great story. I like feeling the characters and all that and the things you can learn from that. I, I, I could go back and say, you know, uh, most people would say, A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, or Real Magic by Wayne Dyer, or, um, The Twelve Pillars by Jim Rohn, or whatever. Yeah, those are all fine books, and I read them all. And, and, uh, but the books that have had the most lasting impact on me that I've read and reread would just be some of the great fiction books. I, mm -hmm. I just love a good story. I think good stories are more important than good facts every time. And why did they impact you so much, you think? What is it about the, the idea of that story? What, what, why does that resonate so strong with you? Do, do you really think that, and, and I ask speakers this all the time, do you really think people connect with information? I don't. I think people connect emotionally to what has been, what could be, what might have been, what's possible. And I think stories do that better than facts and content anytime. You know, Stephen King said, if uh, people really wanted information and content, then textbooks would be bestsellers. People want a story. And what I like about a story is that stories are all about possibilities. Mm -hmm. and reflection and thoughts. And that's why I enjoy great fiction books so much. Anything is possible in a great fiction book. And isn't that what we really do want to believe at our very core? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How's Patrick doing? What's he, what's he up to these days? Is he still got the, the fashion line or what's he doing? You know, Patrick is uh, an amazing, amazing kid. I have uh, one son who's on Phoenix SWAT, <laughs> and uh, one son who's a fashion designer, as I always say, it's the purest aspects of my personality, a train killer and a fashion designer. Uh, <laughs> but Patrick's absolutely doing wonderful. He's got a brand called 2000 Never. He makes, uh, and another brand called Patrick Wingate. He makes boots and denim and women's clothes and men's clothes. And he's really 
Uh, he's a creative genius in that way. He's really doing well. The other side. What's what's his uh, what's his website? Uh, Two thousand never dot com. You'll see some of his stuff there. Two thousand never dot. Okay, good. Everybody listening, check that out. And Larry, you give him my best. To, I haven't. I will. I'll tell him you said hello. I, yeah. I will. He asked me the other day, "When's the last time I talked to Randy Cage?" <laughs> good guy. Good guy. So what's uh so you know the people who listen to this my yeah. tribe are they're into self development personal growth they take personal responsibility they're yeah. eager to manifest more prosperity in their lives anything special you want to say to them since you've got them they got <laughs> their earplug in listening to you right now. <laughs> I, I'll just sort of wrap up with what I tell a lot of folks about the most, really the question all of us in our, this industry, just give me three things, Larry, I can do to be more successful or to have more, or to manifest more, whatever. And it really does come down to this. You got to know what you want. I tell people to take three sheets of paper. On the first sheet of paper, write down how your life is right now in every single area of life. I mean, from your money to your health to your uh, career to your relationships, write down how it is right now. On the second sheet of paper, uh, write down how you want it to be. So now you're looking at two sheets of paper. This is how it is, and this is how I want it to be. The third sheet of paper is critical. What am I going to give up to get from where I am to where I want it to be? What am I going to give up? Randy, we live in a society that tells everybody they can have anything they want. Uh, that And what they really need to understand is that, in my opinion, success comes from sacrifice. You're going to have to give something up. You don't get to be um, a, a great physical specimen. I mean, perfect. And eat six candy bars a day. You could have to give that up. You don't get to be rich if you're buying everything in the world every single day and spending more money than you make. You don't get to be rich. So, but we don't live in a society that talks about sacrifice. We say you can have anything you want. It's all about get, 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 and it's, they don't ever explore the give up. You know, you don't get rich. You give up what's making you broke. You don't get happy. You give up what's making you unhappy. You don't get skinny. You give up what's making you fat. And when people get great clarity about what they're willing and going to give up to get from where they are to where they want to be, I think that's where success truly starts to show up. I love that. I love that. Yeah, because the uh, it, 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 the sacrifice thing. That's uh, I have a whole chapter in one of my books about sacrifice. That you know, that's not the shit people want to hear. You know, but that's what they gotta hear if they really do want to move the dial. Yeah. Uh, so what's the next uh, the next chapter for you? What's uh, what are you excited about right now? <laughs> what's uh, you know what's what's gets you eager to throw the covers off the bed in the morning? Um, doing much less. I really am getting so selective. I, you know, when I talk to people on the phone anymore, and I don't talk to a lot of people on the phone. Uh, usually, somebody else handles that. But I was talking to a guy the other day and during the conversation, he said, I think I'm going to hire you. And the more we talked, I finally stopped and said, I don't want to do your deal. And he goes, why? I said, I don't, I don't like you. I, I don't think your group would be fun. I don't want to do this deal. It just doesn't make me happy. I wish you the best. I can give you some other names if you want it. And he said, how, who are you to talk to me like that? I said, I'm, I'm the guy hanging the phone up. <laughs> and uh, what I realize is I, I am seriously focused on doing what makes me happy at this point. I still love to speak, but I only want to speak if, if they really want me. Not they're shopping for a speaker and they really just want me and my message and, and the true essence of who I am. Mm -hmm. I, I want to do things that, that help me be a better person, make me happier. And most of that has nothing to do anymore with speaking and writing and all that. I, yeah, I may have another book in me, but I don't care if I don't. I've mm -hmm. outlined one, but if I don't finish it, I'm good with that too. I like spending time with my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my buddies and friends. And, you know, that's it for me. That, so people will, when they say, what are we going to see more of? Less. You're going to see more less from me. Mm-hmm.
where can people find you? Oh, I'm about as easy as it can be to find. If you can spell Larry Wingett, W-I-N-G-E-T, you can go to LarryWingett.com. I got a zillion YouTube videos out there and, and uh, I, all my bestsellers are everywhere. Go to Amazon, pick something up. Uh, I got a lot of stuff. You can follow me on Instagram and you can follow me on my fan page, Larry Wingett fan page on Facebook. Don't expect a lot of interaction though. Life's too short to argue with people. <laughs> <laughs> If they uh, just discovering you and they going to start with one book, is there one comes to mind you think is the best one to begin with? Yeah, if you were going to start with something, I'd pick up uh, Shut Up, Stop Whining, Get a Life. That was my first big bestseller. It went to number one on Wall Street Journal bestseller list the week that it came out. And I would say that's a great place to start. Start with the second edition, which I think is much better than the first edition. Um, and that's, you'll know then whether you want to keep reading anything by Larry Winget or not. <laughs> I love this. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been fun. I mean it. It's just great talking to a friend. And I, I hate doing podcasts that are, here are your seven questions or send me what you would like to say. Why can't people just talk anymore? <laughs> I know, right? You know, this was great. I'm looking for a great conversation, and this was a great conversation. Yes, this was a great conversation. So, Larry, thank you. You guys listening, thank you. And everybody, have an amazing day. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.